Welcome back to the 10 Blocks Podcast. This is Brian Anderson, the editor of City Journal. Joining me on today's show is Dorothy Moses Schultz. She's an adjunct fellow at the Manhattan Institute, where she works on the Policing and Public Safety Initiative. Dr. Schultz is a professor emerita at the John Jay College of Criminal Justice, where she taught courses in criminal justice and policing for more than two decades. She's also a retired captain with the Metro North Commuter Railroad Police Department, and she's the author of Breaking the Brass Ceiling, Women Police Chiefs and Their Paths to the Top, a book that came out in 2004, and From Social Worker to Crime Fighter, Women in United States Municipal Policing. Uh, she's been writing for City Journal with her latest piece in the forthcoming spring issue dealing with the subject of residency requirements for police officers. Dorothy, thanks very much for joining us on 10 Blocks. My pleasure. Thank you, Brian. Uh, so let's start with that article, which is in our forthcoming issue. Don't require residency for city cops, it's called. And that's, uh, you know, basically sums up the conclusion of your argument. Uh, w- would you elaborate a bit on that? You know, what lies behind the push to make uh, police officers live in the neighborhoods they pat- patrol? And, you know, why is that a mistake for policymakers, in your view, to mandate it? I think why that you've asked is really the key question. Uh, nobody seems to, uh, who's pushing for this now, seems to be quite honest about it. Uh, we get these comments that police uh, police better if they police where they live, uh, but nobody really knows that to be true. Um, so we don't really know. Is this an economic goal to try and get uh, people to spend their money uh, where they make their money? Or more likely, is it a, some sort of a code uh, to achieve greater racial diversity uh, in large cities? Um, but we really don't know. It's, uh, and as I point out in the article, Uh, If the goal is to achieve racial diversity, uh, we might be better off coming out and saying that and trying to do something about that. Because, for instance, in New York, uh, where the push at the at the legislative, the state legislative level is for this, um, uh, is a white cop from Staten Island better than a black cop from Yonkers or vice versa? Uh, we're limiting uh, the applicant pool, and we're not sure, or we wouldn't be sure, what we're gaining. Um, the earlier generation of progressives at the turn of the into the 20th century, considerably different from the people who call themselves progressives today, uh, actually fought against residency requirements. Uh, and it undid them, including in New York, uh, because they were seen really as fostering um, corruption and incompetence at a time when most municipal jobs, but particularly police jobs, uh, went to constituents of uh, Tammany-type bosses. Uh, So we really need to know what is it uh, that's trying to be achieved, uh, because we can't can't really do anything if we don't know, if we're not honest about what it is we're trying to do. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, you you know, one thing we've started to write a bit about, and 
the New York Post and other publications have have uh, been following this is a growing recruitment problem with the police department in New York, uh, and this isn't just the case in New York; it's it's across the country. Um, you know, what's behind the recruitment crisis in your view, and what are the you know what are the long term effects of that? Well, the recruitment crisis is nationwide, and uh, it's particularly it's not only recruitment; it's resignations and retirements. And if you track them, uh, the largest numbers are in cities where there's been the most civil unrest. Actually, New York is the exception um, because there have not been the type of situations here as you've had in Portland and Seattle uh, and Atlanta, for instance, and of course, Minneapolis, um, where there have been incidents involving specifically uh, their police officers in Portland and Seattle, uh, hundreds of nights of, uh, of demonstrations, quote unquote, peaceful protests. Uh, all of these cities uh, are having recruitment crises, as well as, as I say, uh, resignations and retirements. And the question becomes, who wants to be, what people want to be police officers? at a time that police officers are being vilified. Uh, one of the concerns might be that the people who were, would be still interested in the job are exactly the people that maybe you don't want, who are so eager to be police uh, that they would take the job at, regardless of, uh, of how negative some of the connotations are. And, this also plays into the, the story on, uh, on residency requirements. If the goal is really unstated to diversify or have more minority police officers, how is that helped by having young white people scream into the faces of black police officers that they're Uncle Toms and racists and why did they take this job? They're killing their own people. I mean, that's hardly a way to recruit for a diversified police agency. Sure. Yeah, it's a real problem. Um, you know, you mentioned in this piece that the New York City mayoral election is, of course, coming up and that most of the leading candidates have embraced this idea of residency requirements, uh, though Eric Adams, uh, who has recently sounded you know, a bit more friendly to law and order, um, as a former police officer, he hasn't gone quite that far on the residency requirements, I think. Uh, you know, is this an indicator, though, the, the way policing is being discussed in the mayoral race, that whoever is going to win this election is probably not going to be uh, that much friendlier to New York's police officers? Well, I hate to sound like a rapper here, but friend or foe, it's really more important what you know. Uh, and one of the things that concerns me about uh, this mayoral election, but overall, is that there's so many people who talk about policing who know absolutely nothing about it. Um, and e even going back to when I was a cop, you know, which now seems like 100 years ago, we often used to talk amongst ourselves and laugh uh, that anyone who watched cops or law and order thought they could run a police department. 
uh, laughing about it is really no longer appropriate. We used to say, you know, if we watched all those medical shows, could we be surgeons or could we run hospitals? Um, and it's, it's, it's amazing to me that people who've probably never had a serious conversation with a police officer uh, think they know what police officers think um, or what even they actually do. I'm going to be careful here uh, talking about Eric Adams. Uh, I've known him for decades, although I haven't seen him uh, in many years. Eric was my student uh, at John Jay, uh, first as an undergraduate and then as a graduate student. Um, Eric has fought the police department internally for almost all his career. You know, mm -hmm. he knows the police department. For better or for worse, he knows the police department. I, I don't think any of the other candidates really do. Uh, but because I know him and have known him for so long, I'm weary or wary uh, to say much more uh, that sure. concerns him personally. Uh, you know, it's uh, one, of, one of the other major themes of your work uh, has been subways and uh, the Metropolitan Transportation Authority. The MTA recently commissioned a survey of riders that's showing growing concern about crime on trains and in stations. Uh, you know, ridership is down significantly since the pandemic, of course, uh, but I think crime is also now contributing to that. The MTA is has been calling for a more vigorous, uh, robust police presence to address this problem of safety on, on the trains, create a, a sense of security. Yet advocates are out there saying that this is misguided. They're saying, well, you know, if you look year to date, uh, crime is now down on the subways compared to where it was last year in 2020. But, you know, crime is still up relative to pre-pandemic levels, I think, pretty significantly. And the NYPD, um, you know, itself is saying uh, that the MTA's concerns are uh, fear-mongering. So, so who is right here? You know, is the MTA right or, or uh, what's going on? Well, it's not fear-mongering if people are really afraid. Uh, and every day you read about something serious happening in the subways, particularly, although the, the buses in, in other cities are a bigger issue. Here, the focus is on the subway. Um, it's not fear-mongering. People are frightened. Um, and Sarah Feinberg rides the subway and speaks for the subway system. Uh, I guess people know who she is, uh, the, the uh, interim or acting president of New York City Transit. Um, but the police department has a lot of masters. Um, there were more people, more police officers in the subways for a while. Uh, but now there's the focus on hate crime. Uh, and so to a certain extent, the police department's resources are split. It can't send all its people to the subway, even if people are frightened. But in a way, it's similar 
to what I said earlier. The advocates also uh, think they know about policing and they know about safety and security. Um, I'm not sure what they're advocating for, and I'm not sure they are sure, because if you want more people in the subways, um, people have to feel safe, and they don't. Uh, and it's, it's not helpful uh, when the governor uh, says, oh, yes, they're safe, but I wouldn't advise my adult daughters to ride the subway. Um, and then you had last week or the week before, uh, the mayor takes a limousine up to Washington Heights to introduce advanced uh, express bus service. What's wrong with the number one train or the A train? I mean, what kind of a message does that send to people? Um, so the idea is that you have to make people think it's safe. And to do that, it has to be safe. You can't have people hit with hammers or, or pushed onto the tracks. Overall crime may be down, but that's not, first of all, that's a, a factor of ridership being down. But that's not really what frightens people. Okay, nobody wants to get their pocket picked. No, nobody wants to have someone grope you or rub up against you on a crowded train. But that's nothing compared to the fear of being hit on the head with a hammer or pushed onto electrified tracks. And if people have that fear, uh, they're not coming back. Mm -hmm. And that's so crucial to the city's recovery is to get uh, you know, the, the, the subways in full use again. Uh, yeah. And part of it, of course, is that people need to have places to go. Now the city is opening up somewhat, so it'll be interesting. I mean, ridership is over, has hit about 2 million, which is down from over 5 million. Maybe more people will come back into the subways uh, if they have more places to go. Right. But people, we hear more people are driving uh, to a certain extent. Um, the, the car services are cutting in uh, to ridership for people who can afford to take cars or, uh, you know, Uber or Lyft type uh, situations. Or even if they can't really afford it, if they're frightened enough uh, they'll spend the money on that instead of something else because you can't put a price on your own feeling of safety. It, you do get the sense sometimes that transit advocates are their own worst enemies. You know, they, they do say, well, we need a clean and, and uh, safe public transportation system, but, you know, they, they kind of overlook the safety component or take it for granted. Um, and are often very critical of those who insist that it's it's fundamental. And, you know, the more we have public order problems in the city, the more folks are going to stay away from the subways, as you've just noted. And, you, you know, I, I, I guess what, and what would be your uh, response or your best argument to those who think that, that quality policing is this kind of optional ingredient of, of uh, subway safety and of urbanism generally? I think it's part of the, the whole defund and anti-police rhetoric. When you have people paying passengers who are saying they're afraid to ride because the system is desolate or it's overrun uh, with homeless people or people with mental 
uh, mental health problems. And you have the advocates saying uh, that the police frighten people. More people are frightened of the police than they are of the homeless people. Or that uh, we shouldn't enforce fare evasion because it's an equity issue. Uh, basically, whether they realize it or not, they're asking for the system uh, to remain disorderly or to become even more disorderly. Um, and this is, this is not a new problem. And we had the homeless problem in the 70s and in the 80s and uh, uh, in Grand Central and Penn Station and the bus terminal and in the subways. Actually, there was less talk of it in the subways in those days. The transit, public transit centers were all, the main waiting rooms had pretty much become homeless shelters. Um, and it's a very sad commentary that homeless people feel safer where they're not supposed to be than they do in shelters. Mm -hmm. And this, the city or the state haven't addressed that in 50 years. Right. Well, it's a, it's a very troubling situation. And, uh, um, you know, we're, we're just going to have to watch and see and and see how the mayoral candidate, you know, candidates finally handle this. Um, Dorothy, thank you very, very much for, for coming on. Uh, please, uh, listeners, don't forget to check out, you know, Dorothy Schultz's work on the City Journal website. Uh, that's www.city-journal.org. We'll link to her author page in the description. You can also find City Journal on Twitter, at City Journal and on Instagram at CityJournal underscore MI. And if you like what you've heard on the podcast, please give us a ratings on iTunes. Dorothy Schultz, thanks again very much for coming on. My pleasure. Thank you, Brian, for having me. Thanks for joining us for the weekly 10 Blocks podcast featuring urban policy and cultural commentary with City Journal editors, contributors, and special guests.